All right, let's jump into it. We've got a bunch of uh, another round of Rambo stories on 9 to 5 Mac this week, and uh, then we'll, we'll get to a lot more news after that. But let's just jump off uh, kind of where we left off last week, which is um, 9 to 5 Mac Ski Rambo has a ton of scoops about what to expect, mostly from WWDC this week. Um, so the first story covers Siri shortcuts, screen time, and other iOS features coming to the Mac with macOS 10.15. So, Mayo, what do we expect now, thanks to Rambo's reporting? Yeah, so it seems that uh, the macOS 10.15 is going to add support for the Siri shortcut system, which is the obviously the thing where you get the little actions and you can assign voice phrases to them and you can jump straight into a thing and you can perform a task that you assign up front with a specific voice phrase registered with the system and then when you repeat that exact same phrase, it does the action. That looks like it's coming to macOS 10.15, but it seems like it's primarily coming because the Marzipan apps have it and it might be true that if you're not a Marzipan app, then you can't access you can't expose series shortcuts to your customers. How do you feel about that? I am not really surprised, but it is kind of like worrying in the sense of like I don't care about series shortcuts that much, mm-hmm. but the, but the general like theme of coming, yeah. yes, of like making these features exclusive to the Marzipan app specifically is like uh, doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth because that just encourages more apps to go Marzipan and. Yeah, if, if the know, premise is that, a good that, taste in my mouth. Yeah, if the premise is that, that traditional Mac apps look better, perform better, or design better, then you you wouldn't want there to be like unique features that you can only have on sub quality apps because uh, then that greatly encourages you to to take that route, even though it's already going to be a route that's popular, we believe. Okay, so that's 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 yeah. the start. And, te- and technically, I get it because they want to keep supporting the. Uh, shortcuts that you've made on your phone and if you've got the same app running on the, the computer screen then you might as well just make it work i mean it's the whole whole marzipan approach right is that it scales yeah but it's weird that they're not letting they're not adding like a native api endpoint for you know like AppKit apps to do the same thing because hmm. yeah. it's not exactly because the the series shortcut system isn't very complicated so it wouldn't be that much work because it's you know, you're not like showing UI or doing anything special like, it's like that. Here's you're a just... list of actions that can happen, and here, and then tie it to a voice command kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there is some flexibility, like Daily Dictionary can show like the definition in the Siri transcript if you activate it by voice, but mm-hmm. which maybe, but almost that would be harder to do on the Mac because then they're gonna have to make the Siri transcript marzipani-ish versus right. just showing like an AppKit view there instead. So it's almost like they're, they're going out of the way not to support the AppKit version. Maybe maybe by the time this ships for real, then there is an AppKit API too, but mm-hmm. at least as it stands, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. And for shortcuts specifically, I don't really care, but if there are other more fundamental features, like imagine if it was going forward to use push notifications, you had to use the Marzipan apps and that'd be really bad. Right, yeah. But yeah, so we'll have to keep uh, 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 like a like a, a an arm's reach on that one. Yeah. On the other hand, Siri in the Mac is is not super useful, and, and so any new functionality by any 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 path for is helpful for Siri in the Mac. Yeah. One one line in this report is that Rambo says engineers are also working on bringing the Siri system on macOS closer to the iOS version by bringing features like the ability to set timers and alarms. Yeah. Which are you know basic fundamental features that Siri 1.0 features, right? Yeah, that the Mac version does not 
I, I remember the iPhone 4 reason. you know, keynote and, and me having an iPhone 4 and thinking, do I want the iPhone 4S with Siri? What would it do for me that the 4 doesn't do today? And imagining myself telling Siri to set an alarm for me and never having to go back to the clock app and like do it manually <laughs> and just like do it by voice. Like that sold me. But then like Siri and the Mac, like, you know, maybe your Mac isn't going to be your alarm clock, but like for timers and, and that kind of thing, it does make perfect sense. And like, those are 1.0 features that Siri and the Mac just doesn't do yet because there's no clock app yet. We need a marzipan clock app is, is, is where all this goes. I mean, that would also be quite nice. <laughs> yes, it would be. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, Shortcuts is kind of like the modern day replacement for like automator actions and you know Apple Script. It seems like Apple is just going to not care one iota about Apple Script and automator on this new wave of you know four Marzipan Mac apps. That it's just not going to be compatible, and I don't think that comes really as a surprise to anybody. It's mm-hmm. like you know these are old technologies; they're you know dumping them and. Hopefully, some of the you know more complex, sophisticated stuff you could do with automate, like pass variables between actions, they'll bring to the Siri shortcut system in time. Because mm-hmm. right now, on a big problem on the um, like iOS shortcut side is at the moment you can't store information in a ver- and, a, and a shortcut can't directly pass like an input to an output to another input for a third party shortcut. So a lot of uh, people work around it by like pasting data to the clipboard and then just immediately copying it back out again to send it somewhere else. And it's such right. a hack and it's really bad. <laughs> uh, at least as it stands, it seems like that exact functionality is going to be on the Mac in the summer. So, But down the road, you can see them. If they unify it, they can you know improve it on one and then it will run out to all of them. So I kind of get it. It's unclear if the Shortcuts app will be available on the Mac. So obviously on the iPhone, the Shortcuts app is... You know, where you you make your own shortcuts, which can also include the Siri shortcuts from apps installed. But on the phone and the iPad, it doesn't come installed by default. You have to download it from the App Store. And we aren't sure if that will be true for the Mac 2. It, it, given that the uh, Siri shortcuts appear to be Marzipan only, it probably follows that Apple will release a shortcuts Marzipan version in the app store and then you can just download that and, and use it if you want to make you know your own routines and workflows mm-hmm. yeah yeah that, that will be interesting uh, and that's that's one of the questions is so so you get siri shortcuts like a system level siri the kind that if you never had the siri shortcuts app on your iphone or ipad you can still within apps assign voice commands to specific actions so we expect that to be on the mac but then it's a question mark about will the shortcuts app be on the Mac, maybe, and maybe maybe it'll be Marzipan, maybe it'll be through the App Store, um, but it's not a given yet. But that the main thing is that we expect Siri shortcuts, like the the per app feature, to be there. So yeah, yeah, okay. And it, and it was kind of weird because in Mojave they tried to like modernize uh, automatic actions slightly by rebranding them as like quick actions, and you yeah, can add them on the Touch Bar even, and they're in Finder in a more prominent place now. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're just going to ditch all that and hopefully <laughs> let you put like the Siri shortcuts on your touch bar and stuff instead. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else from, from this report? Yeah, the other thing he mentions is uh, screen time coming to the Mac, which is you know, probably obvious. Like It was yeah, on the iOS last year, and yeah. if you want to bring to the Mac to get like a fuller view of your, you know, your daily activity, if you're a heavy Mac user at the moment, your screen time on iOS obviously doesn't incorporate any of your Mac OS usage. 
Yeah, screen time on, on iOS, so optionally you can sync between iPhone and iPad, and like you've got multiple devices, it can include all of those. And if you do family sharing, screen time can, like if you're the, the parent in that relationship, you can see screen time for what your kids do too, so how, how many hours are spent in video apps versus game apps, and like what are those apps, educational apps. Um, and, and it's really nice, but the Mac is just not part of that. And the Mac does have like legacy parental controls that were always stronger than it was on iOS, I believe. But screen time is like modern version of all of that. Um, way more comprehensive and, and just happens in the background. Um, but you know, as, as Mac users for that, we, you, you know, use Mac for work, the screen time only <laughs> for us incorporates like, when we're not working on our computers. And so it's not a, a full picture of how we spend time, uh, you know, digitally. Um, so if you bring it to the Mac, then you can say, oh, you spend, you know, I guess maybe the challenge there is like um, all of the apps that are open and the, like, you know, then you've got to count like what's an open app, what's you're actually using it or it's in the background. It gets more complicated, but um, it, it would be more useful for me to see like a screen time report of, you know, here's eight hours a day spent in work apps. That makes sense. And then here's how you're spending like leisure time. Um, and right now it's just, it's not that because the Mac is just not included in, in screen time. So yeah, the whole like overlapping windows multi thing at a time is a interesting issue that they didn't really have to tackle on iOS. But I think it's probably, you know, naively and pretty simply solved just by we'll count time towards the app that's listed in the menu bar right now. So Sure. Whatever the name is in the in the top left, that's what's getting counted as time, regardless of what else is on screen. And yeah. you know, as a decent average and overall, that'll shake out perfectly well. It will be interesting if they can like group the iOS and the Mac apps together somehow. Like hmm. you know, Mac messages will hopefully not be a separate item compared to iOS messages, for instance. Sure. Yeah. Or otherwise, or it'll you, be a bit yeah. awkward and like repeating. And you'd have to like combine it together in your own head rather than yeah. You know, like ideally, you'd be able to see like you combine messages time plus split messages time, like you know tap into it and divide it out. You know, but but have have the ability to like know is Twitter on the Mac the problem or Twitter on iOS? You know, it's hard for Twitter on the Mac to be the problem since the clients are going away. But um, you know, ideally, you'd, you'd want to group or divide based on kind of what you're looking for in, in the data. And also screen yeah, and screen time currently, yeah. you can see like a combined view of iPhone and iPad activity, or you can select your iPhone or iPad individually. Yeah. So they could do that for the Mac too. Yeah. It's, it's time, whether it's in that combined view, if they can you know, be intelligent about putting the, the same stats together. Yeah, screen time on the Mac also feels like it's like, like a natural progression of, of screen time. Like screen time on iOS, it's like it kind of came out of... Um, like, like parental calls for better controls on iOS and like the whole theme of like we're using our devices more and more and, and Apple isn't doing enough to kind of monitor and prevent that, especially for parents, like giving devices to their children. Um, and, and so it, it, it's very polished in like how, how it's presented. Um, but it feels like it came from that and that the Mac just wasn't going to be a priority. But then now, you know, given one year later, it can be, they can, they can do all the work they did on iOS and bring it to the Mac and like independent of marzipan stuff. It's like, this would be a Mac feature anyway. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, if, if this ships, uh, it'll be a good thing. So I'm looking forward to it. And one final little ditty is in this report is that the iMessage effects like confetti and lasers and fireworks are getting implemented on the, on the Mac messages. Finally, because yeah. right now, if you send those messages, it just comes up with the you know sent with balloons in in parentheses. Whereas now it's actually going to 
render those effects on the screen. Yeah, I love that Rambo's report ends with sent with lasers in parentheses at the very bottom of, the, of all the all the text, like just just, yeah. just to honor that. Um, yeah, and and it doesn't sound like the message is that will be Marzipan, which you know. Depending on how you feel about Marzipan apps, like it might be, it might be a bad thing, but it might be a good thing. There are so many features on messages for iOS that you can't do on the Mac, like all of the iMessage apps, um, Apple Pay, Cash. You can't do like you, you can do Apple Pay on on the Mac on the web, but you can't do it in apps yet, and you definitely can't do Apple Pay Cash um, on on the Mac. You can see like a bubble for like here's a request or here's here's a money to you, but you've got to go you know, over to iOS to handle it and, and or, or the watch to handle that. And you can't do it from the Mac, which which is kind of wild. Um, and all of those things could be fixed, you know, by hand without doing a Marzipan app, just like they seem to be doing with message effects all this time later. Um, and, 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 but, but also it sounds like maybe you'll only be able to view the message effects. Like we, I'm not sure that we'll know that you can send them from the Mac. <laughs> Um, maybe like congratulations, we'll, we'll create confetti, but there won't be like a way to do it in the UI. Um, and a long time ago, like there were tons of features and messages, like legacy iChat features that meant replacing messages would kind of be a bad thing. Um, but so much of that has gone away. Like the most advanced thing in this internet now is like screen sharing over messages. Like just with iMessage, you can, you can share your back screen with someone else and like, that that's advanced not in there but like they could also put that in like facetime or something else if they wanted to um if if they were to just replace the whole app with a marzipan version um so i i don't know it's that's kind of an oddity out of all of this is like there's a year's late feature that they're going to put in there but but it might be like read only not like write writable where you create the effect yourself and it's so yeah and, and why are they not decided to do you know marzipan messages like out of all of the System Mac apps, Marzipan Messages feels like the the best one they could do that, you know, would gain a lot of functionality, including like, you know, the iMessage app store for whatever that's worth, plus all the stickers and, and stuff, like actually being able to do them and see them and add them. Yep. And also just improve the uh, reliability of the application because, you know, there was all that time when messages on the Mac would show your messages out of order and they wouldn't be signed, uh, sorted by date correctly and you still could see weirdest now where you only see like one bubble on the screen until you press it and then they all like come back in so unifying this together would you know help that situation and the the mac messages like interface is really weirdly coded like the main chat bubbles is like a web view that's disguised whereas on ios it's like actually a native component Mm -hmm. so it would make a lot of engineering sense for them to join them together and give you like a, a really dumb example is the uh animation for, you know, on iPhone and iPad, when you scroll up and down, you get that kind of like jelly effect as the the, the bubbles like bounce against each other. Yeah. And then on the Mac, you just get like that boring scroll that doesn't have that vibrancy. So there's a lot of benefit for them doing miles per messages, but for whatever reason, they seem to have decided to not do that yeah. this year. Yeah. And there's there's things that you can do on messages that that are still nice and Mac like. Like, um, for example, you can you can open up a window on its own. For a chat, and you could have like your main messages view with the list on the side of messages, and then like, your chat on the right side, um, and then like pop open like the message with just me and you. So it's like in its own focus. Um, but I, I don't use that, <laughs> so I'm not worried about it. And I, and I would like for there to be like a button where you click the the camera, or the the camera or the photo picker, and then like you can pull you know pull up like a recently added to your iCloud Photos library picture without 
drag and drop um, on the Mac. Yeah. Like, and there's there's none of that. There's there's no one of the simplest things is that you can't send a message on the Mac without the return key on a keyboard. Like if you're just using the mouse and like you drag an image in, you can't then click like a UI on the screen to send it. You've got to hit the return key on the keyboard. And like there, if, if it was the Marzipan app. All those things would be fixed. Not to mention, um, you know, the effect where you hide the text behind like um, snow, basically invisible like, ink. Yeah, that looks good on iOS. It looks terrible on the Mac, which, like for unknown reasons. But well, I do know why. It's because the it's WebView versus actually a native animation. Because on the on iOS, they they like have these like emitting particles per character, so mm. you can almost see the rough shape of the words. And then on the Mac, they just like hacking this like weird snow globe effect that looks really bad. It's like black. It's like blocky pixels, just like yeah. shaking around the entire of the bubble, and yeah. like the form of the and the feel of it is just completely lost. And that's just an artifact of the different, um, you know, infrastructure and how it's made. And yeah, it's like here, here's a dated it. iPod Touch, and the effect looks nice. And then here's the iMac Pro, and the effect looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, so that actually one uh, interesting thing to look out for is when they do do these effects where they've actually changed the invisible ink as well because the the effects like confetti and lasers are just kind of like screen effects that go over the top whereas the bubble effects require would would require like a reimplementation of the actual transcript so yeah whether they do both of those is an interesting thing to look out for. Yep. Uh next up is Rambo's report that the Apple Watch authentication features seem to be expanding on macOS 10.15. So right now you can use your Apple Watch to unlock your Mac in place of putting in your password if you've already put in your password once. Um and I hear from some people like it doesn't work very well. I I even on a Mac with Touch ID like this this in recent months maybe like over the last year or so, it's been really good for me. And so I love this feature and it works great for me. Um, but you can also use your Apple Watch to like authenticate an Apple Pay payment if you don't have Touch ID on your Mac with, with Apple Pay support like built in. You can do Apple Pay on the web and then double click the side button on your, on your Apple Watch with a prompt. Um, as long as you've set it all up to then say like, yes, do Apple Pay on the web with this Mac by using your Apple Watch. So like those are two things the watch can do today. And, um, Rambo's report, it, it's not super detailed, but it does sound like, um, maybe, Every time you see the Touch ID prompt pop up on the screen, the watch could replace that and, and, and be faster. So if you're wearing your watch and you're using your, your Mac, then by proximity and the fact that the watch is touching your skin because it knows that there, it's not like locked and over in, the, in a box somewhere or that you're not far away, that you could just skip the whole enter a password or use your fingerprint and just have the watch be your password. Um, and I think as popular as unlocking the, the Mac with the watch is, like this would make that even more popular. Like I've seen people say they their favorite feature for the Apple Watch is unlocking their Mac without a password. <laughs> like, which, which sounds crazy, but like I believe it because it's a nice feature. Yeah, it's nice, and I get pretty good reliability as well. Like you get the occasional wireless connection too weak thing, but that's you know the rare case. Not I not only see that if I'm remoting into my iMac from across the house, and and I actually am too far away, and like it's it's the correct response to say like you know you're not close enough to unlock the Mac. Because um, otherwise, like if you're home, then someone can unlock your Mac, and it needs to be like really close. But yeah, so that's yeah. I think it'd be cool if there's like a um, right now. Whenever there's a prompt where it asks you to type your password in, mm-hmm. if instead it could detect that you're you know your authenticated via skin connection to the watch, and instead of you have to type anything in, it just has one button which says go because sure. it, it can yeah. it can know it's you sitting there, and you don't have to you know authenticate in any way. You can. Just confirm the action by you know saying yes. Essentially, you wouldn't need to like double click the watch. So I think that's kind of weird if you've got your fingers on the keyboard of your computer. Yeah. So just like an on-screen 
you know, one step go is a nice kind of like way of acknowledging the two-factor nature of your situation in that we know the issue because you're wearing the watch and the watch is authenticated already. Right, yeah, yeah. And and, and it would be opt-in, so it wouldn't just be like, you've got a watch, you don't have passwords anymore, you've got to give it permission, which requires giving your password once. And then you've got to have the watch on, so it can't be like un- unlocked and over there and it needs to have your passcode to have the watch be unlocked. So um, it's, it's I, I, if your watch is good enough to unlock your Mac, then I think it should also be good enough to do all the things that it sounds like it might be able to do with Mac OS 10.15. So that's one to look forward to. And then uh, the last thing is from Remember This Week is uh, like general tidbits for WWDC. So this is way more developer-focused. So you're a developer. What's there to look forward to for developers at WWDC? Yeah, this is kind of having a look at some of the APIs we can expect. And obviously, APIs translate into user features. The, well, I think probably the favorite one for me on this list is the uh, update to Siri Kit. So uh, Rambo says there'll be new intents for media playback, search voice calling, event ticketing, message attachments, trains, train trips, flights, airport gate, and seat information. And that is uh, all good news for me because when they did Siri shortcuts last year and they did no new Siri kit domains, I was, you know, a little worried that they were kind of just like abandoning the good good version and putting Siri shortcuts in its place. And shortcuts are nice, but they're kind of like ancillary and separate. The, the the domain understanding of you know an actual Siri kit experience is so much better in that you can you know talk arbitrary phrases you don't have to talk in the same way the, you the system it yourself. can yeah. yeah the system can know and kind of like intuit and you know there's more intelligence there plus if you have like two messages apps that both use Siri kit then the actual like understanding is going through the same system for both apps so you can get like this consistency. So, you know, talking through iMessage over Siri is the same as using WhatsApp over Siri, for instance. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're on the shortcut system, every app's basically rolling its own thing and there's a lot more limitations and you couldn't have arbitrary text of like a message. So expanding that out is a big, uh, a big, ha- uh, big thumbs up from me, especially like the media playback stuff. Hopefully that means like, you know, a third party podcast app could actually do proper Siri integration. Because uh, right now there is a play media intent in the API, but it doesn't actually interact with SiriKit at all. It's only for like recommendations on the lock screen, you know, those kind of shortcuts. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually interact with SiriKit at all. Yeah. Uh, on the Marzipan side, uh, Rambo says that enabling Mac support for an existing iOS app will be as easy as checking a checkbox in Xcode. This is like uh, like y- y- yes. It will be, quote-unquote, as easy to support the Mac just by pressing one button. But, you know, realistically, you, you're going to have to do some tweaks to you know, make it not suck. Like That's like the bare minimum. It's like if you want to target, if you want the Netflix iPad app to be on the Mac, you check a box in Xcode and you release it. Um, but if you want it to be nicer than just, you know, you're going to, if you're, you don't want to have some, some weird stuff about it, then you might need to do some more work. Yeah, it's kind of like an equivalent to the old... Um, when when the iPad was new, you had obviously the the non optimized apps, which were the you know the iPhone apps that you could two x hello it, Instagram. The, well, or apps that are full screen, like they're not just two x where you it's literally the iPhone, but they they are full screen, but they're they're like really just like if the iPhone was ten inches. Yeah, like there's no code changes essentially, it just kind of like stretches to fit. Yeah, and looks terrible. but but not but not scaled up, and right. that's that is like what you'd get. Uh, 
from the checkbox from going from iPhone to iPad. It would go from being in the 2x window to you know just filling the screen and then you'd have to go in and do more work to actually optimize it for the ipad now on the marzipan side that you know do some extra work section is a lot less because if you've got an ipad app already they're going to obviously shift most of those idioms over automatically for you and it should be more natural and any actual additional changes a lot of those should also just be improvements for ios 13 in general like if you want to support a multiple window app you can do it uh, on the ipad and then that should just translate over to the marzipan version as well so you know, you're getting like double whammy benefits here. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, there will be like dedicated APIs for adding actions to the touch bar and the menu bar and stuff. So, you know, though, at least those Mac specific, you know, functions will be supported by Marzipan, which is, you know, not a surprise. We see that in the Marzipan quartet that Apple released last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but not touch bar, actually. Touch bar would be, you know, brand new. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, uh, uh, Rambo says that the AR frameworks are going to support stereo AR, AR headsets and touchpad controls. I, this is not likely to be, you know, the Apple equipment, the Apple yeah, uh, right. rumored headset. Yeah. But it seems like they're going to support like MFI third party ones somehow, which is an interesting like half step and maybe suggests that the Apple headset is further away. Then like we had that report, didn't we? That Quo said that it was going into production at the end of this year for for release early in 2020. If they're going to add third party accessory headset support now, it seems unlikely to me that they have something of their own in the wings for just a few months later. Yeah, I saw a reaction to this on the opposite side that said, you know, basically the reaction was if they're they've coded support for these this hardware, you know, for 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 AR games and experiences. They've they've done the work because of their headset, and so now it's going to be part of the system. Just like you know, kind of how you got like um, health kit and, and the health app before there was an Apple Watch. I was like they did the work for themselves, and they they share it first, and then they have something to to of their own to like take advantage of it. So I think you can read it either way. Mm, it's not quite like the like because the, there's a reason why you know Android watches don't work well on the iPhone. <laughs> like the, the Apple didn't open up that interface. To the extent that the watch uses it, like HealthKit, sure, but you know the general wider, you know, cross device communication stuff is not available unless you have, you know, Apple hardware. So but there's, there's, don't take Android watches. That's another operating system. But just like um, there are lots of health related hardware devices, like scales and blood pressure monitors, and lots of things that um, do write to HealthKit, and it's like the hardware for that. Um, so if you look at those as like third party. Uh, headsets that do different things. Like I, I think the focus here is games is, is kind of what the reporting goes on. Um, and then imagine Apple's headset being games plus lots of other things, like the more generalized version. So I, I think you can take it either way. We'll see. Yeah, perhaps. And and what will probably be is like, this is something that the Apple headset will support as well, but it'll be like a subset of the features of the Apple headset. Like, totally. Because yeah. a lot of the Apple headset stuff is going to be like remote rendering. So you can... You know, like your phone renders the scene and shoots it. Yet, so I assume the uh, that is not necessarily going to come to these things. It might be, you know, wired versus wireless, or the headsets they have to render it on their record and they only ask the phone for you know, like position information and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. they, they'll probably it'll probably be like the Apple headset still superior in you know, ten different ways, even if yeah. this is you know leading up to that. Right. Yeah. Another cool thing is that ARKit is going to apparently uh, have some kind of like new app that lets 
people like experiment and kind of make an AR world just by you know visually on the iPad on like an iPad app. Kind of similar to like Swift Playgrounds, but for AR, that's mm. pretty cool. And also, AR Kit will support the ability to detect like human human poses, so that you should be able to um, like map a skeleton over a human's person and put like a model there and animate it around. Mm-hmm. Neat, which is cool. Like. There you go. One uh, fun thing kind of relating to uh, the uh, story last week about the tile tag thing is that what if on that new find app there's like an AR arrow pointing to where your device is lost? Yeah. I I heard that on Stacktrace, I think, and it's like, yeah, that'd be something really cool. Yes, Stacktrace being... Uh, Guy Rambo and John Sandel's podcast on 95 Mac, which is if if you're interested in all these scoops, like there's there's more details. Um, I think the podcast is more developer focused, um, but check it out if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah, and that would be cool if they can like overlay AR with the kind of location, you know, find where is this device in the room kind of thing. That'd be nice because I'm still convinced they're going to do AR maps, like the Maps app, at some point soon. Right. Especially with those rumors about the indoor positioning stuff coming to the iPhone 11. So mm. it's all it's all leading up to something big. <laughs> yeah, it's not and just, then finally, not just... there's kind of like a grab bag other stuff from more control of the Taptic Engine. So right now, uh, the Taptic Engine access to a developer is kind of limited. Basically, there are like 10 preset vibrations that a developer could choose. And it says, play one now. And there's you know 10 different options, and it just plays them when you tell it to. Right. It sounds like there will now be more flexibility in allowing to make like custom tones, custom vibration patterns. Uh, which you can do as a user. Like, if you go into the ringtone section, you can, like, tap on the screen and, like, make your own ringtone pattern, vibration. Uh, but as a developer, you don't really have that control. You just mm. have, like, those 10 preset sounds. So it sounds like they're going to open that up a bit, which would be nice. And similarly for NFC, uh, apparently they are going to uh, relinquish their control over the NFC tag and let other formats other than the NDEF standard be read. And this kind of ties into a uh, story from a few weeks ago that we didn't cover on the show where the uh, UK Prime Minister, like Brexit app, uh, will apparently be able to read passports later this year on iOS. And you know, clearly it sounds like this is not just something they're going to do for the UK. The UK's need, they're also going to open up to everyone by letting the NFC chip basically read read any uh, any of the big standards, not just, you know, the, basically now it supports one and then with iOS 13, it was put like three or four, which yeah, opens so, it up to a lot more flexibility. Yeah. And the way that I've seen this used, and like the only example that I've got in my life is that my um, Sony A6500 camera has a little N symbol on it. And if I put the Sony app on the iPhone near the camera and tap it, then I can connect to it and then send photos from the camera to the phone without using Wi-Fi, without using like scanning a QR code for Wi-Fi direct. It's like an alternative way to do that. Um, and this just means like like that kind of feature will be in more places by by using other standards than NDEF. Sounds good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yep. And then one final thing I just want to highlight is uh, apparently a new API will be able to capture photos from external devices such as cameras and SD cards directly without having to go through the Photos app. Now this is a big plus for like the iPad Pro productivity workflow because you know right now if you plug in a camera. What happens? The Photos app launches and you can only import pictures into Photos. What it sounds like I'll be able to do is a third-party app, say Lightroom, will be able to register as like an import provider, an import point, so that when you plug in your camera, it doesn't launch Photos, it launches Lightroom directly. And you can import directly into the app instead. 
Because there was a funny thing when the iPad Pro 2018 came out where uh, the the solution for how do you get photos into Lightroom using the USB-C port was to download a Siri shortcut that was made by Adobe and that would import your pictures from the photos library to the Lightroom library and then delete them from the photos library. You know, such a mess. So yeah. with 13, they're going to clean that up. Let's talk one more time about Luna Display, the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless second display for your Mac. With Luna Display, you can finally use your iPad as a super portable second display for your Mac with stunning image quality and virtually zero lag. Luna sets up in seconds and instantly works over your existing Wi-Fi or even over USB as a backup when you don't have Wi-Fi. Luna Display acts as a complete extension of your Mac with full support for external keyboards, Apple Pencil input, and touch interactions. It literally turns your Mac into a touchscreen display. I've been trying out Luna Display, and I have to say, the experience is really remarkable. Just connect the tiny adapter into your Mac over a mini display port or USB-C, then launch the Luna app on your iPad, and macOS really does treat your whole iPad screen as a dedicated external display with touch support. Luna Display is great on any iPad since the experience is full screen with no letterboxing which makes Luna Display really shine on the latest iPad Pros with full-screen displays that go corner to corner. If you just want to put your iPad to work and extend your Mac desktop, or you want to use your iPad to expand your screen real estate from your MacBook while you're traveling, Luna Display is a fantastic way to unlock an invaluable new skill for your iPad. And Luna Display is giving Happy Hour listeners an exclusive deal on the product for a limited time with 10% off. This is the last week that we'll have this promotion, so take advantage of it. Head to the show notes to get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter promo code HAPPY, that's H-A-P-P-Y, at checkout. Our thanks to Luna Display for sponsoring 9to5Mac Happy Hour. All right, Mayo, let's uh, shift gears now and and uh, go from Rambo leaks to Ming-Chi Kuo predictions. And the first thing is a story that you covered this week or last week, which is um, Apple upgrading the front camera on the new iPhones for this year to 12 megapixels and uh, something to do with, with the rumored ultra-wide lens and, and how it's going to, to look and work. So what's the story there? Yeah, this is an interesting story. Uh Firstly, with the front camera, we hadn't really heard much about it yet in the rumors until Quo's report. Uh, Essentially, it sounds like they're going to upgrade from the existing uh, four-element, seven-megapixel sensor to a five-element, 12-megapixel sensor component with the 11. Uh, The front camera on the iPhone has not changed much, if at all, for a long time now. So any improvement there is uh, very much welcome. Plus, if you tend to look at the state of smartphone camera photography you can argue about the quality of the the back camera versus the pixel and stuff but the front camera is definitely behind like it, it's rare to even hear of a like a, a sub 10 megapixel front camera i mean the pixel uh, 3 even has like the ultra wide camera on the front not not the back on the front so the selfie camera on the iphone has definitely been like slacking a bit so seeing a hardware uh, update there is nice and going to five elements to four just to help like reducing noise and and grain and stuff like that right uh on the oh on the third on the triple camera system which is expected currently now expected for both the iphone 10s and the 10s max uh quo confirms that it is indeed a ultra wide lens 
you know, there are a few uh, conflicting reports a while ago. Maybe it's just a depth sensor. Maybe it's a, you know, super zoomed up lens. Corey says it's ultra wide manufactured by Sony and it's a 12 megapixel sensor. Uh, that is obviously the same uh, megapixel resolution as the other two uh, lenses are today. But what's interesting is that Quo says that both the ultra-wide lens and the new front camera lens will be coated with a black tint hmm. that should like make them disappear to the eye. So if you're looking there, you can't see a hole anymore. It would just kind of blend in with the black surround of the bezel. I wonder if it's like um, how it's hard to see inside. Like the notch in the iPhone just looks like a black strip, even the speaker sometimes. But if you're in like bright sunlight, then you can see the in, – and this is true on the iPads as well. Like you can see like um, the ambient light sensors. You can mm-hmm. definitely see the camera. It looks like, it looks like a, a camera. Um, but you can also see more than that too. There's like all the dots under there. So I wonder if it's like it will go from looking like the camera today to the other dots. Which so is kind of like yeah. So basically, it'll be you can't see it unless there's like a really bright light shining on it, for instance. Yeah, I mean the black bezel almost looks brown in like certain light because it, yeah, you know, once it's like like sunlight is like the biggest things. Like oh, there are all the dots that you can see. Normally, like you only see them on like the um, exploded view of the 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 the, the, the notch, you know, the sensor mm-hmm. housing um, on like Apple's marketing images. But you know, if you're like bright sunlight, like there there they all are. Um, and in this case, like if you look at the picture, you know, marketing images of like the front camera, it, it might almost look like on this new approach that there is no front camera, even though there is, um, because they don't draw on like the simulations of those other dots. Usually it's like black and then there's the camera and it's black. So it, it might look more uniform because there's no camera beside the speaker hole, even though there really is. So it's interesting. I, I wonder why I only use it on the, on the, the front and ultra wide, though, like that's that's a curious move. Yeah, well, obviously we're kind of still, you know, like puzzling over the design of the square camera bump for this you now iPhone 11 refresh, and it seems everyone seems to be agreeing that it is this kind of like rounded rectangle Apple Watch size screen type shape that has the dual camera system that we know today on like the left hand side of it in the top and um, top left and bottom left corners of this kind of rounded rectangle and then on the right the ultra wide lens is like in the middle so they kind of form like a triangle inside that square shape but if you can imagine that the ultra wide lens is tinted to the point where you know you you visually can't see it you're at least changing up the asymmetry i don't know if you're making it better because then it will just look like the notches the the camera bump is too wide for no reason yeah but at least it looked different. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a curious thing, you know. And, and this goes along also like with their, their previous rumors that the um, the glass picks up the kind of a matte finish. So um, maybe maybe it just all looks nice this way. But it, it's it's weird to me. And and I'm curious like how does that affect um, how photos look? Like you know, and and has there was there a rumor before that, like maybe the third lens isn't like like you don't use that on its own but you combine it with other images like another sensor or something i don't know yeah bloomberg had a report where if you like took a photo with a normal lens but you like cut someone off then it could input data from the ultra wide lens to you know stitch up the picture basically to include more 
And yeah. I, I wonder if it could be like if you covered up the the two lenses we have today and only used the the new third lens, like if it wouldn't take a normal photo and like the ten is part of it because I, I don't know how you do all that. Like, it, well, but I guess with the selfie lens, though, it's only the selfie lens with a ten, and then that would be your picture. Um, I don't know it's it's weird to me. It's curious. Yeah, like the and also the the selfie lens hole is just smaller, right? Like you can yeah, much, see much it's, so, it's a lot easier to is. imagine that you can't see it because it's you know bordering on that today. Whereas, what happens at 12 megapixels, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, that is true. But if if you look on the back camera, you know those lenses are a lot bigger, and I struggle to believe that you can just tint it black and then it looks like it's not there. <laughs> Do you know what <laughs> it I mean? Would be a, like a large black tint, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, I still feel like you'd get a different refraction of light from the you know the metal glass surround and the actual glass of the lens even if it was tinted a different color because it's not the same material even if it's the same color as the same material so that's kind of one of the things you have to wait to actually see it in person to really know you know yeah. what Pe- the impact is there people are still not happy with this like this mock-up based on you know like renders or like this rendered mock-up based on like leaks like you know they're comparing like android phones that exist today that have lots of lenses and how they're put, like laid out differently <laughs> so it's just gonna be something to watch like is it is it like how previous iphone renders were ugly until they were like all we had and then they become like the norm or will we always think of this as like really that's the best you can do you know because there was that other mock-up that had more symmetry to it um and like samsung has like a a strip of cameras across the top um this one i don't think people are sold on yet you know maybe maybe it doesn't ship but it seems like it's certainly you know likely yeah huawei um has you know the a, a rectangular bump that has a dual camera system on the left and ultra wide on the right, but the ultra wide lens is in the top right corner and then the flash takes the bottom right corner. So it does actually line up into a perfect square alignment. Mm-hmm. Unlike this, which is like, you know, a triangle in a rounded rectangle with the flash and the microphone just kind of like spattered around the place. Yeah, like, I, uh, yeah. It is weird. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold on how it looks, but I guess you just get used to it. As long as the functionality it provides is worthwhile, then you know, people will excuse it because they'll be like, oh, it looks a bit ugly, but it takes, you know, the best pictures of any phone today. Yeah. So when, when you, when you it, this could be like the ugliest iPhone without a case, but when you put it in a case, it, it blends a little bit better, at least. Um, I, I had a jokey tweet a few weeks ago that like got a lot of traction, but it was uh, my iPhone XS f- like laying flat with my Apple Watch Series 4 also like laying face down over the camera. It was like these, like, these iPhone 11 leaks are getting ridiculous um, <laughs> and, and some people like said that's just an iphone with an apple watch on top of it <laughs> and i think they they thought i was serious but um i mean that's that's how it looks though like approximately the size and everything is like there's a bunch of techie looking stuff on it and it's kind of a round rack and it's up in the top corner where the camera goes so it's it's interesting it's weird yeah the, the flash position particularly is awkward like you have the triangle of the camera lenses, right, which are equally distant apart from each other. And then you have the microphone hole, which is so small that you won't see it. So you can basically ignore that one. But the the flash, and there's no rumor that the flash will be black-tinted either. So <laughs> the flash is going to be visible, and it's not, like, aligned into the corner. It's, you know, offset, like, up and to the left. And it really doesn't line up with anything. So it's, like, that's, like, almost the weirdest part of it, because you can kind of see the triangle in the rectangle. But then... You know, why is this this dot, you know, like 40 degrees off center? I don't, that's the bit that confused me the most. Yeah, yeah. The, one, uh, one interesting thing, by the way, uh, 
while we're on this subject that someone showed me is on Twitter is there's this new Android phone that uses a periscope kind of design internally for the for the camera lens. So rather than the lens just like protruding, looking um, vertically towards you, like dead on, what it does is it has a little mirror and then it has the, the actual lens is further down the phone. So it, it, it reflects up the phone and out like at a 90 degree angle. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine like an internal periscope. So it's like on the on the angle of the corner. Right. And, you know, one of the things about lenses is if you can make them go further distance, you can get like different shot. It affects the aperture. It affects how much light's coming in. So maybe it's a periscope lens inside and that helps to explain, you know, why it looks weird. Hmm. Potentially. But I just thought it was cool because I'd yeah. never heard about that before. But you could definitely see like something, you know, Apple's like, ta-da! <laughs> and that's it. You know, it actually goes all the way down the inside of the phone. And that's how we get, you know, these stunning pictures, blah, 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 blah. Right, yeah. yeah we'll see. So only a few more months away for that one. Um, the other thing from Core this week is, um, you know, last week we had the the whole Apple settles with Qualcomm, their, their royalty patent lawsuit. And they agreed to do business together for the next, like, what, five, six years. And... Um, Apple pays Qualcomm some amount of money. And the idea there is that they will now use Qualcomm for 5G chips as soon as next year. And Intel said they're not going to do 5G chips as a business anymore. So they're out of that game. Um, well, Quo had his report this week that said, you know, basically saying like with, with that behind us, it's very likely now that Apple will use Qualcomm chips next year, but also Samsung chips, which is, I think the first mention of Samsung chips, like for 5G and iPhones. Um, out of all the rumors, like even when Intel was, was supposed to be in the mix, um, at least for me. And, and so he, he says that it will break down based on the, um, markets that the iPhones will use. So there's MM wave spectrum and then there's sub six gigahertz spectrum, uh, markets. And so in order to have more than one supplier, just Qualcomm, which I mean, I think last week we just assumed it would just be Qualcomm. Um, Apple will have Samsung in the mix for, for certain markets. So. Uh, I guess depending on like where in the world you are, you'll, you'll have five G work here, or it will work there, but not in both places, at least for now. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Millimeter wave spectrum is what like uh, the US carriers are focusing on for like the initial launches. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas it seems like more internationally, they're just going straight to the six the uh, six gigahertz spectrum range. The it's hard to say which is better than the other because it's kind of like. Um, Wi-Fi N versus AC, whereas, you know, you might get better speeds, but you also get worse range. Like, it's mm. kind of like that kind of trade-off. So mm-hmm. I think ideally, long-term, people want, like, the carriers want to provide, like, both, like, as mer- as much as possible. But, you right. know, initially out the gate, they're only doing one. And that, uh, so that would mean all U.S. phones with 5G would have Qualcomm, and then in other markets, Samsung would be a player there. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, and that kind of mirrors the old uh, world of when Verizon, you know, ran on CDMA. So... Mm-hmm. They had to use. They had to like work out separate chips just for the U.S. market there, and, and they're certainly no stranger to doing, you know, region specific things like that. For all, it basically depending on the year and how it's and how it's convenient to them. They either advertise the iPhone as a world phone where the, the you know the one model works everywhere, or they bifurcate it based on you know the model identifier and it only works in these eight countries here and these twelve countries here and these twenty four countries over here, yep. and. You know, last year with eSIM, you know, in China, Apple sells an iPhone now that has physical dual SIMs only in China to support that market. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're definitely open to doing that kind of stuff where it makes sense. Yep. 
Um, and then in Close Report, he, he believes 5G will be a big upgrade factor for people. So he, he thinks that the iPhone will have uh, uh, 200 million iPhones shipped across the year, year in 2020. Um, I think this year he lowered his numbers down from, from some point to um, only as high as 192 million iPhones sold throughout the year. So um, predictions from Quo on, on how many iPhones are sold. And uh, but but the big thing there is it, it sounds like you know it, just like a or chats last year, last last week that five G uh, will be a thing next year and uh, you know not just in uh, Android phones but but carriers will support five G in certain markets and and it will get you know bigger and bigger as we go and then and the iPhone will will, will, will be there just in time so um, I was looking at at uh, like like I have AT and T as my carrier, so where is AT and T five G right now? And of course, they did the silly thing with five G E, which is like <laughs> faster versions of of LTE, and they call it a five G evolution, even though LTE is long term evolution. Um, and, and and I've seen lots of places with five G E, like, and, and it's just it's I've I've not seen five G E where it it is like even though it's using. Um, you know, I guess different, different, <laughs> like a faster version of LTE. I've not seen the results of it being faster. Like, I guess I've not been like, here are four bars of, of, of 5G LTE <laughs> as of ATT's like language of it. Um, but, um, it, it's confusing still. Like they, they're not making this easy for consumers because they also have, um, 5G plans, which is like, nationally we're going to do 5g but then they also say on their website they have 5g plus which is not a thing um but but they say like here are like five or six markets that will have 5g plus in certain parts of, of the markets where we will experiment with like even faster um 5g I, I guess and and there is one near me which is new orleans and i don't know if it's like either today or if it's like a planned city for it um but it is it's, it's I wish it was just like with LTE, where it's like you here are LTE markets, and not like here's a way to make you think you've got five G. Here's a better five G. Like it's it's not easy to to learn, you know. And if for me, then like you know, non tech savvy consumers especially, like they're not making this easy. So. On purpose. On on purpose. But maybe maybe once real five G is here, then then they'll they'll want to consolidate and just say, uh five G that's just four G LTE and uh Yeah, the five G <laughs> plus thing kinda sounds like the six gigahertz versus the millimeter wave stuff. Sure. So, yeah. And yeah. that isn't going away. That's gonna be a, a thing for a while. <laughs> yeah, which is just just confusing, you know. And and, and they also plan at the AT and T CEO today I was talking about like they'll they'll do higher prices for five G plans, so like you'll have to pay extra for it. And I don't know, like a lot of the reduction to that was people saying my my LTE speeds are fine for what I need to do on on my mobile device, and so I'm not going to pay you more. And, and I'm sure that'll always like that'll change as we go. They'll give you reasons to want to upgrade, and maybe we'll get some good deals out of it, but. Uh, it's it, it's kind of like LTE all over again, and and it's not going to be smooth. I guess it's going to be. There is definitely messy. a point where it's like, what do you do on cellular on your phone today that yeah, you know, actually is too slow. Like yeah, it's kind of the five G like promise is you know not based on anything really concrete. Like I don't think there's many people today being like you know my assuming you're in a good service area. It's like my forty meg. You know, 4G connection is not fast enough. I could do so much more if I had a 300 meg connection. Like, it's not like home broadband. It's different. Yeah, my my brother in law was asking me about 5G and like like what the promise is there and everything. And he was like, "Isn't it that you'll be able to have like home Wi-Fi speeds, but all over the place?" And I was like, "I guess so." But like his his home Wi-Fi, you know, like common, um, 
you know, reasonably priced home Wi-Fi plans or like, um, you know, it's, it's not unheard of to have like 12 megabits per second down and up. And like, then you can switch to LTE and have like 50 down, you know, it's like, you'll get faster, uh, internet if you turn off your Wi-Fi, you know, but then you've got a, a, a data cap to consider in many cases. Um, and then like, like I've got gigabit, uh, a plan, but, um, and I, I'll get up to like 800 down, like, you know, so it's, it's, it's much faster than, than like 50 down is. But uh, even then, you know, it, it's tricky like, to find something that works better over 800 down than, than 50 down. And like, is it, is it even coming at me that fast, even if it like the internet can, can support it? So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough sell, <laughs> I think. But at the same time, like if all the Android phones advertise 5G and people look at that as like, I want 5G. I want the better version of my internet. I want everything to be faster than, than Apple needs to participate in that too, you know, for competitive reasons. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And if you buy your iPhone for like, you know, three to four years plus, then, then you, you want as many future proof features as possible. So, um, I, again, just like last week, I'm glad that, that Apple's in this conversation with 5G, you know, and that, that, it, that we can look forward to it next year. Um, and, and maybe it will be a factor of like, if you, think 5g is important to you and this year's iphone is not a 5g phone then you sit out for it and just like wait for next year's phone and that's the one that you upgrade for and that that reflects in in close predictions for numbers wise at least too so we've all read some surprising online reviews right whether you're trying to get a sweet deal on something you've been saving for or trying to find the best happy hour in town it's generally a good idea to read the reviews first so why should finding the right software for your business be any different Read thousands of real software reviews and find the right software for your business at captera.com slash happy hour. Not familiar with Captera yet? Let's fix that. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 750,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution and fast. Not sure where to start with Captera? Simply go to captera.com slash happy hour and type in a category like podcast or banking to see how Captera works. Results are easy to read with clear summaries of each recommendation and it's totally free to explore. Join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit captera.com slash happy hour for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. captera.com slash happy hour. Captera. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash happy hour. Captera. Software selection simplified. All right, Mayo, our AirPods 2 are about a month old now, so it's time to start thinking about replacing them, I think, with uh, AirPods 3. So we've got lots of AirPods 3 stories uh, this week from today alone. Uh, what's what's the AirPods 3 story now? Yeah, this was uh, <laughs> a roller coaster. So in the uh, early hours of the morning of UK time, Digitimes came out with a report that said AirPods 3 were launching at the end of 2019 as sporting upgraded internal redesign and uh, noise cancellation features. 
Uh, it didn't really have much more than that. And of course, you know, Digitime is shaky chat record. Sometimes you can believe it, sometimes you can't. Most recently, they said AirPower was coming out at the end of March, and we know <laughs> what happened there. Yes, we do. <laughs> but the, the, the intimation that there was going to be new AirPods hardware at the end of this year is not you know, a new phenomenon. Even before the AirPods 2 came out, in the second gen models, there were like rumors from uh, sources like on leaks who said that the AirPods with wireless charging case were coming out soon, and then you know a bigger update with noise cancellation, black color options, stuff like that was coming you know later in the year, like in the in the holiday quarter. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like completely out of the blue, but it was you know a bit unexpected. But then about a couple of hours after that, Quo came out, <laughs> one apping digitizer saying there will be two new AirPods in the fall. So, Quo says that uh, in addition to an iterative hardware update to the AirPods, which will retain the same visual external design, uh, there will also be a higher tier, higher priced, all new design AirPods with a new form factor. Presumably, the uh, higher priced version is the one that's getting the noise cancellation features Mm. because you're probably going to need a rather radical redesign to be able to support you know good noise cancellation because the the way the current the way the current airpods uh, are made and laid out it seems it's hard to imagine design that could substantially improve uh you know out, uh, reduce outside noise just based on how they are so yeah i mean even if you did it like all through software then then <laughs> like pumping out white noise into your ears to um compensate for like actual ambient noise it, it's going to be very hard because they just sit in your ear. They don't like cup your ear or cover your whole ear. Um, and I, I keep thinking of like the, the higher end redesigned versions as like the days of the wired earbuds, like even before ear pods, when there was an in-ear version of the Apple earbuds that you paid, you know, I think close to a hundred dollars for, but then you got like the tips that went in your ears. They look like earbuds in almost every other way, but, but they, they had tips. And so that was the, the, like the physical noise isolation. And if you apply a software factor to that too, then, you know, maybe there's your noise cancellation, but it, it, it would be near impossible, if not impossible with, with the current design of AirPods, like as they, as they are like, Right now, AirPods are pretty much like earpods with the wires cut off, you know, mm-hmm. plus yeah. lots of intelligence about it. Um, it, it, they- it seems it seems most likely that noise cancellation will be a combination of, you know, a bigger a bigger covering of the ear with a new hardware design, plus active noise cancellation with software. Because mm-hmm. I think with software alone, it's just not going to be good enough. Like if you just if you put the best active noise cancellation on the current AirPods, people, you, like you say, the sound would just go around the AirPods and still get into your ear canal the same. Plus, yeah, you have the battery. Plus, you have the battery drain problem of the AirPods can't have that big a battery. And you, if you're doing continuous active noise cancellation, that's a combination of running the microphone, performing an algorithm, and then pushing out even more sound constantly. And we know how much the AirPods battery gets cut in half just by being on the phone and activating the right. mic. So, you know, active noise cancellation is going to have similar issues there that they have to yeah, overcome yeah even with like like the, the the humongous beat studio wireless beat studio through wireless headphones which have active noise cancellation like you get way more battery life if you turn off the active noise cancellation and just have like you know the like uh, i guess organic noise cancellation um then then you do if you have active noise cancellation which is like way more effective but but it's a bigger cost to battery life so and, and airpods it would be tremendous i think yeah. Even though, like the new AirPods, you, you get one more hour of battery life. Like, what do you go from like 
two to three hours for yeah. phone calls. Yeah, so it's not it's it, it's a big game, but it's still not much, you know, in terms of how long you can use them for. So uh, yeah, yeah, and, and the whole like timing thing. Um, so I imagine like Close Report was like hanging around, like you know, being distributed, and then like we get the we get the English version, you know, our hands on that, uh, you know. Is it like that? Quo sees digit times and like, oh, here's here's my version of that. It's like they happen independently. I think. Um, and or then maybe digit times copied Quo. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say maybe you think that they do like a better job of like being more comprehensive than that, but but maybe. Um, but then and then the other timing thing is that you know two AirPods in the fall, one in the spring, really. And there's a lot of lot of angles on that. And and the first one is that there's plenty of evidence to. Uh, make the case that the AirPods that we have now, the second-gen AirPods, were ready to go last fall, and they were only being held up by air power. And then once that was, you know, wasn't going to ship anymore, then they say, here are the new AirPods. And there's all this marketing material for air power on the box and in the fine print, and the copyright's 2018, and, and there's pictures of iPhones with home buttons in the um, and the pamphlet when there's no new iPhone with a home button, you know, like this is the age of the 10R and 10S. So it seems to be like maybe even before last fall, like these these were ready to go a long time ago. And so we're really getting like last year's AirPods this year. And it's a very like iterative update. It, it's only compelling if you don't have AirPods yet or if your first AirPods need to be replaced for some reason. But it's I, I don't think the current AirPods are like, you like your first ones? Throw them out, get the new ones because they're that much better. Because they're, they're, if you don't use wireless charging and you don't use the voice invoked Siri feature, then it's, it's hard to appreciate some of the benefits, like if, if at all. Um, so you take that and you look at these the current AirPods, the AirPods Two is like last year's AirPods because there were no new AirPods last year. These were those. Um, then then you could get back on track for development. It's like, well, we'll have these ready to go this fall, um, so we'll release them then. And they're already testing the prices with wired charging and wireless charging is like, you know, here's 160, here's 200. What do we do with those numbers? And we're still seeing that the $200 case is backordered more than the, the, the $170 case or how, you know, however it is. So yeah, 159. Yeah. yeah $160 case. So partly because of messaging, I think people are still confused about, you know, <laughs> the, about the, the 159 is actually still the second gen AirPods is the you know, difference to the case. And right. Sure. I don't think Apple's trying too hard to tell people that they don't necessarily need to spend the extra $40. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, this is what we said when the, uh, when we were reviewing the AirPods before is that they're clearly, you know, playing around with the pricing brackets and, they have these two tiers now, and in the fall, I think you can see the iterative update as being, you know, similar to the current ones with some internal redesigns to make them cheaper. And then the one five nine suddenly becomes essentially a slightly tweaked version of the current AirPods, but you get the wireless charging case with it. And then, you know, the one ninety nine slot is this AirPods Pro, whatever you want to call it. Kind yeah, of one of the I mean, one of the mentions, and I think both of the parts was that the internals can change of how they're how they're made. Um, and, and in your report and your coverage of the core report, it's that it, it improves yield rate. So you can make more without having batches that, that don't go into sale. Um, it saves space internally and it lowers production costs. So like it, it would be, I think, pretty compelling aside for the people buying AirPods today. If at the iPhone event in September, they said, and then here are the new AirPods. Um, and these are now 129, <laughs> like, like the no new features version. If if the change is how they they make them and they can be cheaper to make and you can lower the price and still make money on them and then mm-hmm. you've got here are the two hundred dollar versions or like however much you know 
that would be pretty compelling. Yeah, plus the whole uh, synergy with the iPhone 11 power sharing thing. You know, charge yeah, your AirPods totally. on the back of the on the back of the phone. Yeah, it, or yeah, if they if they would give wireless charging to everybody, forget the wired charging case. Like it's they can all charge wired if if you want them to. Like they've all got the port. But if you stop selling a version with like if at 159, it is cheaper to make the AirPods themselves. So then you can sell AirPods plus wireless charging case for that price. Yeah, that's pretty compelling, especially like you said with the power sharing feature as part of the same event. Um, and, and yeah, you, and, and you can do another color. Like yeah, just yep. to sell the era version. Yeah, here's black, and, and people that buy AirPods like for the next six months or so won't feel great about it. But it, it won't be the first time Apple's released serious hardware twice in one year with with like significant changes. Like the the biggest thing that comes to mind is the iPad three, which was a, a, like a March product, and the iPad four, which was like an October product. Is <laughs> the same year, and that was a big change. Like they changed the thirty pin port to Lightning. They upgraded the processor, and like it was, it was within you know six months or so of each other. And and they discontinued. They stopped selling the iPad three. It wasn't like they they did things with the price, like make them both on the market. They they took away the old one and they made a new one in the same year on a, on a serious product. Whereas like AirPods could be considered like accessories and not like flagship products, you know. So it's, yeah, it's, and for the iPad three, they added Retina, but to do that, they had to you know bulk up the graphics chip. So it was. It was the, the the iPad two had A five and then the iPad three had A five X, which is the original introduction of the X, and then it literally just did mean you know better graphics. So it right. had the, basically the same CPU as the year before. They only bumped the graphics up so it could drive the screen, but it they they were so cutting edge that it meant they also had to make the device thicker and heavier. And when you used it, it ran warm to the touch. Mm-hmm. So it was a the iPad three was you know kind of a weird product, and then in October they. And it made it better by adding the A6X chip, which had better graphics and better CPU. Plus, they put lightning on it because obviously that's what the iPhone five just got, just had just got, mm-hmm. and it well, didn't run hot anymore. So, like, it was a significant <laughs> difference. Yeah, in the same year, and, and and now we look at iPads and we're like, eighteen months update. That's pretty normal, you know. And then like it was, it was one year. It was like year a year for iPad one, to iPad two, uh, and then kind of year of a year for iPad two to three. But then like you know, again, it was six months for the iPad four. Um, and, and then we eventually got the iPad Air, like, to replace that. But, um, yeah, so there's definitely precedent, like, even in the Steve Jobs era for Apple to do two serious versions of the hardware in one, one calendar year. Um, and, and for AirPods, like, again, they're kind of playing catch up with the current AirPods. You know, they had a hiccup <laughs> in, in, in that whole rollout. Um, but if there's something more compelling, you know, the, like, it sounds like the, the ones this fall could be, if you've got the first in AirPods and they're they're fine on battery life, that you might want to upgrade for noise cancellation or you know the new look of them, the new color, the water resistance of such a thing. Like there's, there could be more reasons than just you know voice activated Siri. Yeah, the, that was the only kind of like flaw with the core report today is that it, apart from saying all new design, it did not actually like detail any specific improvement to the you know the higher end model. Here's the thing. You probably think cybercrime is something that happens to other people and no one wants your data or that hackers can't grab your passwords or credit card number, but you'd be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on free public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. When you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the world to see. 
That's why we recommend taking back your privacy and protecting yourself by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background on your computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click, and ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. It's very important. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi, which is popular, and want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. And if you don't want to hand over your online history to internet providers or data resellers, ExpressVPN can help. ExpressVPN also removes restrictions and creates internet without borders, defeating content restrictions and censorship to deliver unlimited access of video, music, social media, and more from anywhere in the world. And ExpressVPN offers unlimited bandwidth for a VPN that's built for speed and customer service over email or chat that's available 24-7. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash happy hour. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash happy hour for three months with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash happy hour to learn more. All right, Mayo, something we haven't discussed on, on happy hour in detail is the uh, Galaxy, the Samsung Galaxy Fold. We, we, we hit it on a little bit, I think, in a previous episode, but it, it's the, um, it was announced a few, like maybe a couple months ago or so, um, Samsung's version of the Galaxy S10 hardware, which is new, that has all the same features as the S10 phone, plus a hinge and a folding like non-glass display, plastic display. Uh, and the idea is that it's got a screen on the outside, which is very small, and then you can unfold it, and then it's got a, a wide, like, iPad mini-like screen, and the apps can, like, a- adapt from the small screen to be expanded for the big screen. Um, and, and this week, reviewers had their hands on them, and within 24 hours of having the review units, like, three to four reviewers reported their screens breaking for two different reasons. And the whole thing is just kind of falling apart this week where, um, there, <laughs> there were like embargoed reviews anyway for like, here are all the problems with this technology that like this first gen technology. And then here's, uh, this problems that also exist of like the screen breaking for people. And then like within a few days, the Galaxy Fold gets kind of indefinitely delayed. Like it, I think Samsung's statement was that they might actually like, Re- <laughs> redesign it so that it doesn't break like in the ways that it has. Um, you know, yeah, they haven't said that they've cancelled it, but they haven't given another date yet for when it would come back. Right, and and this is the price of the phone is one thousand nine hundred eighty dollars in the U.S. So for the base model, for the base model, yeah, and they 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 plugged this thing as like a luxury product because it is like futuristic, and and it like, it wasn't just Samsung only new phone this year. Like they've got the S10. I think the S10e is like a cheaper version, and then they have a 5G version of the S10 coming like later. <laughs> but then the Galaxy Fold was like very futuristic, you know, folding display. Um, it's and, like a trophy product for them, right? Like, sure. Yeah. If they can ship it. Yeah, and and it didn't seem to be that questionable before, but now now it's certainly in question. Um, it's. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. it. You know, I think both of us kind of on the same page is like, this would be neat to own, but we wouldn't spend our own money on it. Like we'd, we'd have like, you know, tech to try out like for a job. So we like not like go out and purchase it with our own money. Um, not just because. Yeah, like foldables. And this is kind of what we touched on before. Like the foldable yeah. concept is good. And no doubt, you know, one day there will be like flexible iPhones and stuff. But mm. short term, clearly it is not viable proposition either in terms of mass market appeal just on price alone or in terms of like you know durability and practicality like if you even if you put put aside the you know the screens are, are getting broken and not turning on at all like even when they were working there was still a laundry list of problems like you had the software was buggy and sometimes the apps wouldn't reflow you had like there's this massive hinge and the hinge doesn't close properly so there's it's, a big it's very, with- very thick it's, it's as thick as two phones when it's folded up and your pocket which makes it not very pocket friendly yeah um, and, and the fold, and the screen doesn't it doesn't like close flush so there's like this gap where this dirt can get through yeah. and then the the, the, the way that the, it works is like the two halves of the screen when it's unfolded are kind of driven by like separate components so it's almost like two screens like jellied together because if you they, the Verge had this demo where you, they were like scrolling the web, a website like in you know not Safari but like Chrome uh, and the left side of the screen was like 10 milliseconds ahead of the right side because they weren't perfectly in sync, like the two separate display controllers. So you got this kind of like jelly effect on as you were scrolling where the left is slightly ahead of what of what the right is displaying on the screen. Yeah. Uh, like there's all this stuff where it's like, mm, this, you know, it's not done and ready to show time. The jelly effect, I know, would annoy me to no end. Like, yeah, the, the verge said it, I mean, it was it was really interesting to me. Like that, they were aggressive about reviewing it, and which is just like what they, they are supposed to do is like you know a, a giant tech site. Um, and and their whole review was like nearly finished. I think whenever they had the like okay, oh now screens are breaking, so they weren't going to trash the review. And, and it was a compelling review, like regardless of the screen issue. So they published it as that. It's like, and, and it was before they. They indefinitely delayed the project or, you know, maybe they redesigned it, but they, like, they, they did a fair job of like reviewing what they had, um, without theirs breaking. And, you know, we, we, we've got coverage of their review and, and you can see like in a GIF of, you know, the video in motion of like, oh, there's the right side, which is like the main display scrolling pretty smoothly. And then over on the left side, like it's got a, its own controller and they're not, they're not at the same speed. Where it's like it shakes a little bit, like it, it jiggles as it scrolls, and compare that to like promotion on the iPad, where like you you get super high refresh rates, and like the iPhone doesn't have that yet, but like the iPhone's got it's always been known for super smooth scrolling, and like Android, like as a platform, has used buttery smooth scrolling as like upgrade features and like mature versions of Android. Um, so this is like starting over, and like they just haven't solved that problem yet. And there are other issues that, that, you know, the Verge's review showed about the phone. Like, it, it's not, I guess it's not a glass display. So it, it has this layer over the, the, you know, first service. Like, like with the iPhone, you've always had glass, uh, but then there's, there's, there's been like air gaps in between, like the screen and what you touch. And then the iPhone 4, I think, was the first to remove that, where it was like a laminated display and it felt like you mm-hmm. were touching what you were seeing, unlike an ATM machine kind of thing. Um, this is like 10 steps backwards because it's like plasticky and it has what looks to be a screen protector over it just to protect it. But then that itself isn't very durable and gets dented up with just like putting it, you know, in your hand and using it. Um, and then the other, th- other thing that was just 
besides the screen breaking an issue is that when you fold and unfold plastic over and over, it begins to crease up in the center. And, you know, at, at the event a few months ago, like they didn't show, they didn't let anyone like touch them and hold them in their hands. Um, but you could see it like in some, some of the demos, like of like this is on stage, there's a crease there. Like you, you can't not have a crease in, in this current technology. Um, but in the actual like review of the verges, you know, they're like this is a, a very obvious crease and like maybe it won't bother you, but it's there. So it's not like a perfect display in that, in that case. Um, but with the screen damage thing, it's like the first thing was a problem. I think that they warned people like in the packaging, maybe a little bit, like don't take off the screen. Like it was right. the original, the original round of units did not have any warning on the packaging. No, no, no. Like some, some people seem to know, or maybe, maybe they were just informed, but some people knew, some reviewers knew not to remove the top layer, which looked like a screen protector. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, you know, Others did or noticed that it was like breaking the screen, so they they stopped removing it, um, and then had like had theirs replaced. But that that was the main problem was if you remove that top layer, then within a day your, your screen stops working. And so Samsung's fix there is tell customers in the box like before they sell them, you know, un- unbox it, big sticker warning, don't remove layer, even though it looks very removable. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, is and like, four or five months down the road, you're going to have to get like the phone service to put a new protective layer at the top because the layer will get damaged. Right. And the, and the other thing is with, like you mentioned, the hinge and how it has an area when it's closed that is like an open gap uh, that, that just calls for debris to be inside of it. And so if there's debris in that gap and then you unfold it, then that debris gets crushed, which applies pressure to like the display in the phone. And so it's just like a fundamental flaw of the design. And so if this thing comes to market for real, then it's, I mean, I I think it's pretty questionable that like if they can solve these problems, like then they probably already would have solved them. So this is probably kind of where we're at this year, next year. So maybe it doesn't come to market or maybe if it does, like then it's just like a $2,000 phone that's not durable <laughs> and and you've got to like you know acknowledge that it's it's not going to be covered under like a 12 month warranty even like i don't know but it feels uh, very better hardware-y kind of like you know like the original google glass kind of situation or mm-hmm. like the original hololens like you know it's cool but it's also niche and you know not quite ready for prime time what's interesting is that uh huawei also have a foldable phone in the offing the huawei mate x mm-hmm. and they claim that despite of Samsung's issues in the last week and a half, uh, they are still on track to ship the Mate X in June. So, <laughs> you know, again, not too far away. But the Mate X is going to is based on the same you know basic technology. It's still a plastic screen that folds in half. But the Mate X actually puts the screen on the outside, not the inside. So the the Samsung phone has like the four inch cover screen that um on the front, and then you unfold and you get that separate seven inch screen, which is the the bit that actually folds. The the Huawei phone uh, just has the uh, seven you know seven ish inch external screen that folds in half uh, facing outwards, and so when you unfold it, you get the full experience there. But that means that you know the plastic screen is going to be always exposed to the elements unless you use like a case or something. So, given that the uh, durability of the uh, Galaxy Fold is clearly not very high, uh, it certainly puts a big question mark over the you know. Over what the is, durability of that model, yeah, yeah, what Huawei's doing. So, and 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 it's you know, I guess like hamburger versus hot dog style whole thing too. But it's it's all very neat, but it doesn't seem like a product that you're going to buy this year. You know, it's like and, and I guess Huawei's got the benefit of like the June launch being, you know, if they have any issues in testing, they can they can try and sort it out between now and then before they need to delay anything. Um, 
Yeah, but even if like the the screen, you know, breaking to the point of not turning on as she gets fixed, they're still going to have the problems of the other stuff, like the jelly screen. Like they're not going to be able to rework the display controller situation within a couple of months. Like there's a reason it's designed. That's the only way they can make it happen at the moment. Yeah, they would so, have done it differently before. Now it seems yeah. like yeah, oh. yeah. And that jelly issue alone is like enough of a deal breaker for me. I couldn't stand that. Like, I I still get annoyed at this stupid jelly effect of the OLED panels on you know just like when you're looking at high contrast black and it takes longer for it to refresh the dark colors, so you get the jelly there, and that's like annoying. But Mm -hmm. like a permanent split down the middle, yeah, it just set me off too much. Uh, to me, uh, the jelly thing would bother me, but the, it, the crease gets worse and worse too. Like if you just even notice that, then it's it's a, it's a major compromise of like it, it's almost like if you always had like the sun glaring on your screen and you just couldn't get away from the sun glare. It's like ah, I don't want that. Yeah, and you can like feel it as you like move your finger over the mm-hmm. panel as well. Like, yeah, I think like because if this thing were to be released and just worked as advertised um, without hardware problems in software. Something that they showed on stage was when you have the small app on the screen and you unfold it, then you are in the same place in the bigger version of that app. Like it's got like continuity awareness about where you were. Um, and it, it expands intelligently to fill the screen. Um, but in, in the Verge review, it seems like every app would need to update to be optimized for that. And in that in many cases, the apps either were buggy about doing it or just they just didn't support it. And so like you yeah. open up the, the 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 seven inch screen from the four inch version and you just had a four inch app in the center like with boxes all around it you know and then yeah you, like an iphone app that's 2x on the ipad like, right and you could you, you could like close the app and relaunch it and then it would just adapt to the bigger screen like because then it knew it was on a tablet size you know screen and it would just like use the android intelligence to know that like oh on this size screen now but it wouldn't automatically resize the way that they showed you would expect that all apps do like because Samsung doesn't make the operating system and they don't like control what developers are doing. Like it seems like that would be very hit or miss and you'd have a lot. Yeah. Of and like there. part Samsung's kind of like jumping the gun here because the Google Android N, which actually officially supports the foldable stuff isn't yeah. due to come out till later in the year. So yeah, basically Samsung have like hacked it into the operating system themselves in the meantime to try and get it off the ground. But it should it should it, you still have the problem of developer adoption but by the time that android n comes out at least the apis and stuff are using the official practices so it should be more reliable at least so it'd be like any brand like whether it's huawei or samsung or google whoever makes a phone that's foldable you can target all of those versus just the samsung version of your app and android. yeah pretty much yeah. yeah 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 so that's 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 something else um you know the uh, ignore the fold and the S10 has features that the iPhone does not have right now. Like even discounting like a 5G version coming out before like the S11 comes out. Um, th- I mean, the, the main thing being the ability to do power streaming in the back. That's like a serious feature that the iPhone 11 or whatever you want to call it will have that Samsung has today and Apple doesn't have yet. And like we can totally expect that to be a big marketing image like this fall of here's the iPhone and here are AirPods in the back charging, like or maybe your watch or maybe another phone. But um Samsung's doing it now. Apple will have it this fall, we imagine, based on the rumors and reporting. Um but but and so to, to that point, it's like they botched the foldable phone, but their actual like flagship phone, I think, is is okay. Like, it's, yeah, they're very competitive. Like no totally, question. yeah. And, and they're doing the ultra wide camera, which is like also, it's like two of the big things that we can expect for the iPhone. 
are on the Samsung phone right now, and the iPhone will catch up this fall. And like, if you care about iOS and everything, like, then, then you wouldn't even look at the Samsung phone. Um, but you know, ultra wide camera and the power sharing feature. It's on, it's on the S10 today. And then six months later, we'll have it on the iPhone, we imagine. But, um, so, so it isn't like, oh, they, they, like, um, they, they've got, they've got a, a rocky history here of like the, um, what are the S pens on the, on the note phones? Like it, it seemed to be that you could put it in backwards and break the phone. Like, that was oh, yeah. <laughs> and year over year, they fixed it where like you physically couldn't insert it the wrong way, which is like obvious, but it took, you know, maybe they just don't have enough like real world testers in- involved. Um, and then there was like the Note 7 that, that had multiple instances of like catching on fire, which is a, a big problem. And they went the whole year without having a note from that year, but like they came back the very next year with the Note 8. <laughs> so, and, and it's in our memory, but like it didn't shake the company, I don't think. Um, yeah, I don't fo- think it, I think people like mainstream customers don't remember. Like, yeah, and, the Samsung brand is fine. Yeah, and the fold is like even even more trivial than like the Note Seven catching on fire because like, it, who knows how many they they expected to sell? <laughs> like, you know, it, it was not going to be mainstream at all. Whereas like the Note is like the higher end version of like the, their other phone. Like, I guess it was S Seven at the time, um, but it, even that is like a, a higher price version of it, I, I believe. In this case, like. The fold is like in its own league of like it's like buying two phones for the price of two phones, but it's really one phone. Yeah, um, the fold is like Apple Watch Edition territory. Yeah, it's it's not consequential for Samsung except for like you know tech prestige. And, yeah, yeah, and, and you know tech watchers are like it's a dent, but it, at least for Samsung, the S10 phone does have features that iPhone doesn't have yet, even if they are rumored and expected in six months. Um, and, and there aren't any issues to report there. Like that is, it's been shipping and it's fine. So, um, but it's, 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 it's definitely, you know, interesting, like historically that this was going to be the first and it can't now. <laughs> so well, I guess, I guess what we do next is like, see what Huawei does in June, you know? Um, and, and, and if Huawei delivers, then like, it will still be compromised based on like what you're seeing from from the the Galaxy Fold, um, but if they can do it in a way that like they can actually sell and people buy them, then then it is a little bit of pressure for Apple, I, I suppose, to like maybe consider the form factor. But um, yeah, and then the Huawei design is better in my opinion than, than the Samsung design anyway because it's more you know, organic and less like mechanical. I think yeah, and and you get a bigger screen on the outside when it's shut because the Samsung yeah. phone is like a four inch thing when it's closed up on that you know massive bezel outer screen. It's not a Huawei, four inch like like piece of glass but it is a four inch like display and a much larger canvas yeah yeah like bigger bezels than the original iphone whereas the huawei phone has decent sized screen even when it's closed because they're reusing the same screen and unfolding that yeah so we'll be switching to huawei in june i think me and you both right like totally We've teamed up with Withings for 9to5Mac's latest deal of the month to offer a special discount on Withings sleek Wi-Fi smart scale for a limited time. This offer won't last long, so act fast. The Body Plus scale works with the Withings HealthMate app on your iPhone and Apple Watch to automatically sync readings for not just weight, but also body fat, water percentage, muscle and bone mass, and more, directly to Apple's Health app on the iPhone. You'll see the data displayed in real time on the scale with its 2.4 inch by 1.6 inch high contrast display, which also gives you an eight day trend of recent weigh-ins and an optional daily weather forecast. And the Body Plus scale features an incredibly sleek and high-end design with a large 12.8 inch square surface made from high strength tempered glass 
and a paint-free casing, available in two colors. WireThings offers multi-user support, too, with automatic recognition of up to eight users, which is great for families, which includes independent sync settings for weigh-in data. There's also a built-in baby mode and pregnancy tracker that you can turn on in the HealthMate app on the iPhone. I'm so happy to have Wything sponsoring Happy Hour once again, because I've been using Wything Smart Scales for years. I've tried other Smart Scales in the past, but none that work as well as Wything's. The healthcare integration works so great that I've been able to reliably weigh in the scale and automatically save the data in Apple's Health app, which makes tracking weight loss really motivational. As I mentioned last week, I've also given Wything Smart Scales to family and friends, and even upgraded my own to the Body Plus model with my own money way before Wythings was even a sponsor. Wythings Body Plus is regularly sold for $99, but you can visit wythings.com slash happy hour or head to the show notes to get 20% off the Wythings Body Plus Smart Scale from Wythings website or even Amazon. Our thanks to Wythings for sponsoring this week and our thanks to you for supporting the show by supporting Wythings. All right, Mayo, we've got a few more stories this week to talk about. Um, the first one is about Apple News Plus, and this is the subscription news service with magazines and some web-only publishers and some newspapers that Apple announced at the March 25th event that, that was actually available to use in the U.S. then and coming to more countries later this year, I suppose. Um, as we record, it's the last day to cancel without being charged. Um, and so many people had a reminder to cancel before today or on today so that you didn't pay $10 after the free trial started. Um, although I suppose if you like the service, then, then you just keep paying every month and you're happy with it. Um, but for me, I, I was unhappy enough with Apple News Plus that I didn't want to wait until the last day and like maybe mess up and not cancel in time. So I, uh, and I wasn't even like checking back in with, with Apple News Plus to see like maybe it's growing on me. Uh, after like two weeks, I canceled it. And it wasn't the kind of trial that you could cancel and then like keep using until it ends. Like every other service on iOS, it was special. And so when you canceled it, you lost access. Um, but so, so, so you've not had a chance to try it because it is US only right now, right? Yeah, it's UK you, coming you, later this year. Yeah, Canada has Apple, Canada has Apple News Plus too, right? Yep. But it's, yeah, uh, it's kind of in the US at the moment. Yeah, US and Canada. So uh, the thing for me, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before, it just didn't change. Um, I actually think like if you paid for texture before for the same price, you got a little bit less in terms of not getting Wall Street Journal content, not getting some of the web content that you get. Um, but you got a little bit better experience because you could say like, I want to read these three magazines digitally and not see anything else. And like, that was what you got. And with news plus, it's like everything that's the free news service, in the app, like you get all the Trump headlines and everything. And you can say, I dislike this story. I'm like, show me lots of this kind of stuff. But like, it's really hard to avoid some of the stuff. So if I only wanted to read about like running and men's fitness and like cooking, it'd be really hard to do that with News Plus, I think, without seeing all the world news and just like entertainment news recommended from News Plus. Like it's it's pretty aggressive about that. Um, and so I think it, it is a worse experience right now. And hopefully it changes, like maybe in iOS 13, maybe in iOS 14, and like point updates, it just, they iterate on it. And they've got to be hearing the feedback from people that like, we think this is kind of messy, <laughs> like in, in different ways. Yeah, it's disorganized if nothing else. Yes, totally. So that's, that's what I've got. It, it, it didn't do it for me. It, it made me 
uh, I, I have been, I, the thing is like we, we talk about it kind of privately is like what price would it need to be in a bundle for it to be compelling and like almost nothing <laughs> like it's like almost <laughs> like, like like right now for me but like if you could pay you know ten dollars for two terabytes of iCloud storage and five dollars for Apple Music individual plan then like would you pay five dollars more and have news plus. So then like the effective rate is like $5 a month for, for news plus. And like, I don't think I would do that. I, I think it would have to be like within like the one to $2 range to be compelling in a bundle. Um, and, and that's tricky. So I, I not, I'm not sure like what the magic would be there, like magic number. Um, but for now, for me, it's not for me. Uh, and, and I do appreciate that there are people who do like the service because of what it offers. And, and it is a better value than what you'd pay for individual magazine subscriptions. Um, but for, for what I do it's not for me right now and 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 that that's compounded on the fact that the app is kind of messy and and, and yeah uh, so yeah like i like the idea but the as an outsider obviously i haven't really got to use it myself but i can see you know and get the gist for sure uh, mm-hmm. the app is just pretty rough like you can't even like it's, it's hard enough to even like a magazine you have to like click through and click through and then click on this random logo and then you click the hive and you can't like guarantee that your episode, that your magazine issue is going to be automatically downloaded necessarily you can't you know like manually control it it's it's messy but they're almost certainly going to change it up like as long as their numbers are low compared to their expectations mm-hmm. it will get investment and it will get changed and it'll get improved yeah. like what we saw happen to the music app it just it, it there's this whole concept i've been like chatting around to like maybe post about for like the last year is this kind of like idea of like freeing responsibility where if apple makes something free then they can just ignore it because it's free right but mm-hmm. if you're if there's something that's directly associated with a payment they <laughs> they really can't ignore it because A, it affects their financials in terms of how much money they're making and B, they're letting down customers who are directly paying for something that, you know, they don't like and they cancel or they get upset about. Like, if you if you take the iWork suite and then you turn it off, like, back when the iWork suite was paid, right, like, we're going back a long time now, uh, it was, you know, there was a direct connection between, you know, these customers paid for this and Apple has to provide for it. And then they made it free. And you know what happened after they made it free? They took all the features out of it because they unified it with the iOS apps. And that caused a load of mayhem and people were upset. Uh, and they slowly added features back. But they wouldn't have done that if the app, if those apps had remained paid. Because, like, you just you can, like, free the responsibility of having to care about it as soon as you make it free. Even though you could argue that even Apple News, like, the free version, is, you know, a feature of the phone. And you buy the phone, so it's a feature of that. There just isn't that direct relation and so as long as there is enough backlash and enough people unsubscribe or don't join there's 100 percent the news app will get changed in uh, faster than it ever would before like yeah, and there's there's reporting about how much money they've invested in, in in the purchase and will be owed to who they bought it from that it isn't like they can say maybe there's an opportunity here for to make some money if not we just don't worry about it. And that was just a trial and we didn't like it. Um, they need to make a certain amount of money to even break even, right? Yeah. So over three years, Apple will be paying at least $480 million over three years. So, mm-hmm. and and if I think that works out to like 25, like uh, between like 10 and 20 million subscriptions basically over that time frame. So if they don't get that money, they've effectively, you know, lost money on over that time frame so, so. They, they have to pay for the acquisition plus the you know 
that. And they've also got to share money with publications. So it, it, they've got to be successful here or else they, they lose money. They it, it wouldn't, it, it's not a substantial amount of money for Apple at all, but they, they're not in this to just forget about it. They, they've got to, they want, they, they see this as like future revenue. So I, I hope you're right about that. Yeah, it would definitely get better. It 100%. They either cancel it altogether and get rid of it or it will get better. And you know, it, it, they're going to at least try and re- rework it. And we saw massive changes on the music app between like iOS 8.4 and iOS 10. And, you know, nowadays the music app is really, really nice again. So I think the news app will get there. I think part of it was it was held back by the need for it to be on the Mac and the whole marzipan immaturity stuff. So they just kind of like hacked it in somewhere where it would fit rather than like, you know, holistically thinking about where it should go, maybe having like separate magazine sections and stuff like that. So I think it will get better in time. And similarly, we heard um, as well as like Apple's $480 million outlay for news, there was a report a couple of weeks back from the Financial Times that Apple is spending upwards of $500 million on Apple Arcade their, their gaming subscription service, which is coming out in the fall, uh, with and obviously they've already promised uh, around 100 games for Apple Arcade. So if you do, you know, 500 million divided by 100, then that's like five million dollars per game essentially that they're paying upfront for developers to make the titles. Mm-hmm. And so that gives a lot of creative freedom because you know in the normal App Store model you're sitting there with zero dollars and every time you're you know all those times spent making the game you're going into the you're going into the red like negative 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 and then you release the game and hope that you make money by people buying it or buying the, the in-app purchases so then you make your money back and you make a profit obviously there's high risk there because if the game is unsuccessful then you don't make any money whereas arcade kind of flips it on the head because apple is funding up front so these titles should be high quality because they can afford to spend you know five million dollars worth of resource and and labor you know into making the games good yeah uh so hopefully the games will be good and then that will result in you know the 9.99 subscriptions or whatever pricing you know pricing yet to be announced for apple arcade. yeah it's got to inform how apple like they obviously want arcade to do well too and so they can't ask for too much or it won't and they can't ask for not enough because they've got money invested like you know again like this isn't their main business, so they, they can play around with the numbers, but they're going to want to make their money back from these titles, obviously, plus more. So it's, it's yeah, and at five hundred million just for the initial catalog, like you know, you'll probably look at nine ninety nine a month. Yeah, because I mean, they're spending four hundred eighty million on texture, which is nine ninety nine a month. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing about all this is like on the music side, um, it's there. There are so many, like there are so many other music services and. So I think it's that it, like whatever they negotiate, like if if they were to get down to like five dollars a month for Apple Music, that Spotify could do the same, like like the the rates that they get. I don't think that the labels could give Apple one rate and then not spot like not give Spotify like a, a similar deal. Um, that's like how the how it, when before Apple Music was released as like a product that was like you know part of the reporting was like whatever Apple can do, Spotify will be able to do that too. Like they, they'll be able to negotiate the same deal. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's called most favored nation clauses. It mm-hmm. basically means you can't give someone a special deal that the other companies can't access. Yeah, and so like News Plus, I don't know that there's like a like Apple Music to Spotify. There's like a News Plus to something else. I mean, they bought Texture to do News Plus, and um, not so that there's like a direct competitor there. And the same thing for Arcade. It's like it's 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 more unique than even like music is, and. Um, so maybe 
by that measure, they they've got more liberty to like play around the price of it and everything, and like not do ten dollars by default for everything. Although we are seeing with News Plus, like that's what they're doing. Um, but uh, it, you know, I, I I hope that it isn't like every service is ten bucks, and cause it's it's so hard for like that's part of it for me is like if, if News Plus was like eight dollars instead of ten dollars a month, then it just it might feel different to try for more than like the free trial period, you know. But I I do not consider like what I did in the free trial to be as like put in the hours of like using the service or like getting the utility out from it of like what I do for Apple music for like I Apple music. I play all day long while I'm working and definitely like while I'm working out, while I'm commuting, like I play a lot of music. And so for me, $10 a month is like the base rate is a really good deal. Um, For, for news plus it's like, it makes me want to use my iPad more for that, but like it's, that's kind of it, and and the you, you you're almost forcing yourself to use it just because you're paying for it, not right? And that's, that's it, yeah. If you pay for it and you want to use it because you don't want to feel like you're getting scammed, like you know, wasting money, then that's probably the wrong equation for you, and it's not for you. So like, it, it's the same way. Like for for arcade, again, for arcade is a little bit different because if my kids are using it, like if I see my kids using it again, I feel good about that, then that's fine. Um, but but it's also it's got to be like. It's comparative. Like I, I don't feel great about paying the same amount for iCloud storage as I do for Apple Music. Like I wish I could pay a little bit less, but my photo library is just over what the next price down would be. And so I've got to pay for the ten dollar a month plan if I want to keep using iCloud photo library, which I do. I love iCloud photos, like it's great. So it, it you know, it's it's a funny thing. But uh I'm not super optimistic about a bundle like this year. I feel like Apple it, it's in their interest to sell it to you for the most expensive price that they can get away with and like then see what what do they need to do to make a bundle make sense for them um, and not do a bundle from day one. But I, I am curious, like maybe some of these things become more compelling if by subscribing to more services, they can cut the price on some of them. Just like they do with Apple Music, like if you do like an annual subscription, you, you, you spend $100 a year instead of $120 a year, you know? So uh, it's, it's, it's I, th- I think for me, like, you know, just just back on News Plus, like it's a no for me today. And arcade is like I will definitely try it, and if the kids like it, we'll keep it going. Um, but it's all kind of fluid. It's based on like if the pricing changes, if the features change, then I could revisit it and you know be be a fan of it. So we'll see. Yeah. In summary, News Plus not a smash hit out of the game. Yeah, and it wasn't just like I don't like News Plus. I think there was a pretty like universal. Sentiment, yeah. Uh, sentiment of I like, agree with you. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's tough for what it is, and the features have got to get better before it's super compelling. Uh, not to say that there weren't people who liked it. Like there were definitely people who were like, it's a good deal for my family, that kind of thing. So uh, I'm sure listeners, it's, it's kind of the same breakdown of like a lot of people not into it, and then some very much like it. A few more things this week. Um, one thing we saw was that Apple stopped selling the LG Ultra Fine 4K display, which is the 21 and a half inch model. And it isn't just like out of stock. They've removed the page where they sell it. And when something goes out of stock, it just becomes unavailable, but you can still like see the webpage. In this case, you can find like the, the URL for it. They're like a Google search. But if you go to it, they show you the 5K display and a bunch of iMacs. And LG still sells the 4K display. And best, well, they link you to Best Buy who has it. And it's still in stock, they Best Buy. So it seems like something's happening there where there's no replacement for it from Apple. Their display that they're making is like super high end from, you know, from what they say. It's, it's the pro display for like the Mac Pro. So it isn't like yeah, we, the 6K one. <laughs> yeah. So it isn't like we expect, 
you know, uh, that to be related. So it's really weird. And they, they, they use this for like the iPad promotion too. Like, and it's in Apple stores. Like even today, if you go to an Apple store, I think you can see it on display like with a Mac mini. So it's kind of a mischief kind of floating out there. It's like, where, why did this go away? What will they replace it with? And like, like what's happening here? Like, what do you think? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like the, the 4k was, and is the thing they show the iPad pro connected to when, with the whole you know iPad Pro USB C uh, display out without needing an adapter because it's basically the most mainstream USB C display available uh, up until they got rid of it <laughs> from the store because right. the five the LG Ultrafine five K is Thunderbolt not um, not DisplayPort over USB C so it is incompatible with the iPad Pro so Apple no longer sells a compatible display for you know the high end iPad which is problematic in itself. I, the only thing I can assume is that LG are going to release a new generation of 4K display soon, and Apple just ran out of stock too quickly. Maybe, <laughs> maybe because, uh, like uh, as you say, Apple's not coming into this market. It doesn't seem like anyone else has really stepped up to the plate with the competitive panel either. Like, and what, it, wasn't there like one? There's like just one announced compatible display for the iPad Pro from like some you know obscure vendor. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even out yet at the time. Yeah, there's it's complicated. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole mess of it of its own accord. But right. the the LG Ultrafine 4K is like the only option right now. Yeah, yeah. And and theoretically, you can get a 5K support output on the iPad, but there are literally zero displays that will do it because mm-hmm. the the LG uh, the 5K Ultrafine is Thunderbolt, not USB C. That that was the thing. Like you can get other USB C displays. But you can't get a 5K one. Mm-hmm. But in in the in the Apple world, in the Apple Store world, your only option was therefore the LG Ultrafine 4K, which no longer exists. So you're yeah. in, you know, you're stuck in the mud. Uh, I I guess there's going to be a new LG Ultrafine 4K soon, but <laughs> maybe yeah. the timing just haven't worked out properly. Uh, and if Best Buy is still selling it at the moment, then clearly they haven't you know depleted stock everywhere. It's it's a weird one, and I don't you know we just have to wait around to see if there's a resolution. Yeah, I think the cost was like around seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred dollars. Like, it's a pricey display. Uh, it, it's not that attractive. Like, the screen is great. It's like the iMac, the the four K iMac. Um, you know, it's Retina. <laughs> you can connect it to like a Mac or an iMac. You know, and, and have a a second Retina display. It's a little, little bit smaller. That's what I have. It's like a refurbished. Uh, 4K Ultrafine um, that that costs about half the price, uh, and I I love it. Like just being able to put windows that are always over there and not like on my main view is a great. And I also can plug it up to my iPad Pro and like have that as iPad Pro display. But right now, even in software, like you can't do that much with an external display on the iPad until like you know maybe future software updates. So, but you know, it, it's definitely a mystery of like where did it go? And I hope you're right that there's just something coming from LG or. Maybe Apple that 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 you know fixes this problem. And like even part of it is like, like even the Thunderbolt display, which costs like a thousand dollars. It was a twenty-seven inch display. It wasn't Retina, but it also wasn't like the cost of a five K LG display, which is like thirteen hundred dollars or so. And mm-hmm. it wasn't the cost of like what the new Apple display will cost. So like, there's totally a market here. Well, I don't know if there's a market, but an opportunity for Apple to have a solution that you could buy for the iPad, for the Mac Mini, 
you know, that that's not the Mac Pro display and not the, you know, costs more than a Mac Mini LG 5K display. So it's 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 a weird hole that there's that's there now, especially if there's still like these displays on display in stores. Uh, it's, it's weird. The other thing is we got an update on the MacBook uh, keyboard situation. So w- what's happening with MacBook keyboard repairs this week? Yeah, so this still isn't a fixed keyboard, but now Apple is prioritizing keyboard repairs at stores. So rather than if you come in with a broken keyboard, you don't have to send it off to the repair center and you know wait you know weeks or more. Uh, the idea is that Apple will be prioritizing the keyboard repairs doing them in store as much as possible to hopefully give you, you know, next day turnaround times on your laptop. This is uh, a policy distributed internally to Apple employees. It's not like a public announcement, mm-hmm. but you know, it got sent around, it got circulated to the relevant Apple store places. So this is definitely uh, what they're doing. So if you have a butterfly keyboard and you've been kind of, and that's kind of iffy and you've been waiting around, well at least now you can get a one day turnaround to get the same butterfly keyboard out I mean, the other end again. Aren't you in that camp where you've got a, an affected keyboard and you've been putting it off because you don't want to go like days without a computer? Yeah. How does this yeah, affect your, uh, your your decision making? Maybe. But again, even one day is like, you know, it's kind of a deal. Right? I'd have yeah. to like, I'd have to sort it out. Like it's. Yeah. My situation was that I did uh, via mail and it was like two day turnaround. Uh, I, I've heard some people that had a much longer experience and um, I think I said a second computer that had like four or five weeks. <laughs> it was really long because they ran out of like the parts they needed. Uh, and they just like, they didn't say like, well, here's your computer until we have it back. You know, it was like, it's just waiting there to be repaired. Um, and then of course you only get the same keyboard again. You don't get like a, a keyboard that won't be affected again in the future. So it's kind of a reset. Yeah. That's why I haven't jumped on it because uh, my situation is my keys double press or they get stuck and, my fix is to just smack them really hard and hit them really hard and eventually they go back to normal. Like yeah. my my most recent problem was with the enter key. I couldn't press enter by just, you know, a normal amount of force on the on the enter key. It just yeah. would not make a new line. But if you smacked it really hard, it would make a new line. Uh, and now, about two weeks later, after smacking it really hard a, a while, it now is back to normal and, you know, operates at normal pressure. So for me, it's always been like this transitory thing where it just switches from key to key every now and again and yeah. it does double presses or just becomes really sticky. So I just kind of like put up with it as much as it's bad. But mm-hmm. if 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 Apple was offering, you know, like a, a newer generation keyboard even, because if I go in my 2016, they're going to give me the same keyboard that was on the 2016 back out again. Right. So they're not upgrading me to a new generation. You know, I'm not going to get the cocoons on the keys with the silicone of the third gen models yeah. or anything like that. And as we've seen, even the 2018, you know, revision still has the same issues. So at the moment, it's like, why do I bother even getting it serviced? So I'm just going to get a keyboard that's going to exhibit the same problem. Yeah, I think it's nearly inevitable that the, the third generation butterfly keyboard on the 2018 MacBook Pro from July and then the MacBook Air, which has it too, like it yep. will eventually be in this program. Right now, you know, you've mentioned that it's in, it's still in the warranty, so you don't need to have a program for it. But I, I think it's pretty clear that like, the the silicon layer like didn't didn't solve the problem the membrane didn't fix the problem um and it, it could yeah the wall street journal got a quote from apple spokesperson saying we apologize to people who are still having issues yes yes and and so i've i've got that macbook air it's i i i can't say that it's like any better you know than 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 any other version in terms of like Debris not affecting it. I, I make sure to like shake it upside down and like, you know, do things to try and prevent it from happening. But like, 
it, it never happens with the magic keyboard for the iMac, which, which is the scissor switches, not butterfly switches. Um, and it's, it's like lower travel and less like wobbly than like the old MacBook keyboards were. So there's, there's definitely like an in between, um, you know, in terms of like, like how it can be stable and which switches it uses. Um, I'm not sure how it affects like thickness overall and like if it would require like a different, um, casing altogether, but, but I think there's definitely like in between than what they had and what they have now without, you know, the, the durability issues. Yeah. We just carry on waiting for, you know, the actual new keyboard, yeah. maybe on this uh, 16.5-inch MacBook Pro redesign rumored for sometime this year. Yeah, it would be, it would be nice alone if I, if only because like, like for me personally, I, I can, I've never had a key like need to be like removed and replaced before. I've only needed it to be like cleaned and, and serviced in a way that like other keyboards don't have that problem. Um, so it isn't like a deal breaker for me. Like I, I bought the MacBook Air knowing it was kind of a risk. Um, and, and it's never pre- prevented me from working. Um, but it would be nice just to have like this conversation behind us in terms of like, you know, when you discuss MacBook keyboards, what comes up? It's it's always this. So I, I hope we get around it soon because it's 2016 was a long time ago. Like 2015 was the first version of the keyboard, um, and like we're like four years later now. So it I, I hope we're getting past this like maybe this year. That would be wonderful. Yeah, and the 2015 MacBooks are going to be dropping off the repair program at the yeah. end of the year because yep. the, uh, there's a four year limitation on it after you bought it. So yep. the 2015s are almost done. <laughs> Like maybe as of this week, some of them are. Done. Yeah, like it's because true. it's the same age as the Apple Watch, and it's like hitting its four-year anniversary. Uh, so it's possible that like some of those early ones are out of the program now. And I I had one of the first MacBooks that was in the program, and like they, it, it had other issues too. Like the keys were wearing off like in the first year, and at the time they wouldn't replace them. But then with the program, they did replace them, and that was nice to have. So. Uh, but yeah, if, if you've bought the first generation MacBook, 12-inch MacBook in like the first year, if it was at launch, like maybe it's too late. But like if it was later that year, then then maybe you should check it out sooner now. Then, and it also it's nice that maybe you can have like next day turnaround instead of like, you know, a few weeks turnaround. So uh, that's the update for this week. Uh, and I want to end with uh, the kind of usual uh, fitness corner. So just about Apple Watch. Uh, first thing is is not fitness. It's just the watch, which is um, to promote a new app called Lens, which is an unofficial Instagram app for the Apple Watch. And uh, the history of like Instagram and the Apple Watch is that for like the watch – 1.0 software like watchOS 1.0. You you there was an Instagram app around launch that you could view photos on and yeah they demoed it. It was it was on the stage right. Yeah and you could yeah. like you could open the app and view photos in your timeline like that people posted and like like them and comment on them and like if someone commented on your photo I think it, it was a richer experience than you have today where like you just have the alert and that's it and you can't really act on it and um. It went away because there was a limitation from Apple side where if you have like it's got to be an app that runs on WatchOS two or later, and it needs to like work without the iPhone with you and that kind of thing. And so rather than updating their app, they just killed it. Uh, and so for like one year as of this month, there's been no Instagram Apple Watch app. Um, and today, a new app came out this week called Lens, and I reviewed it on the site today. Uh, it's really impressive, like what they've been able to do. They've matched the old feature where you see your photos like in your timeline 
and it's a Series 4 app, so, like, it's the full screen. And it works away from the iPhone. So, like, if you're on Wi-Fi or LTE, it works just like if it's with the iPhone, which the old Instagram app never did because it was, again, like, watchOS 1 app. Uh, plus, it's got, like, lots of other features. So from when you launch the app, you get your timeline and home. You can see Instagram stories, including your own, that are posted. There's an activity section for, like, seeing all the likes and, like, comments in your post. There's even the Explore tab, which is, like, pictures and videos that Instagram recommends for you. Like, you can browse that on your watch. And on the Series 4 screen, like, especially the 44 millimeter, it's better than it sounds. Like, it's, it's, if you're just, like, on the sofa, like, just kind of hanging out, it's, it's kind of neat to be able to do. Um, there's messages. So, like, Instagram has, like, DMs. Any message that you've, like, created as a thread before, you can actively use it on the watch. Just, like, iMessage or, like, Facebook Messenger. It feels really neat. Um, and then you can see your profile or you can search for like terms and with like messaging and stuff like, or commenting even you can dictate. So like voice to text, but they also support scribble, like where you draw, which I love, like drawing the characters out works so well. Or there's this flick type keyboard, which is like a third party thing, but it works with that. So it's in there. Um, but I, f- I found it to be like really compelling. It's like, if you're a fan of Instagram and the watch, like this is a free app that you can just try out if you like it. You can pay like two bucks to support it, but Lens, check it out. It's pretty good. Yeah, I don't use Instagram, but from the screenshots, it looks like a really well done app. Yeah, I was quite impressed by it. I thought it might be kind of like overpromised. Like the story here is that I saw someone on Reddit talking about their new app that was coming soon, and I messaged the developer and said, "Hey, I'd like to try it out." And they put me on the the test flight for it, and then it just like got released too. And um, I was really impressed by it. So I thought it might be kind of a hit or miss, but it's actually pretty good. So. Um, the other thing is this weekend I ran in the uh, New Orleans Crescent City Classic, which is a 10K race, um, using the Apple Watch Series 4 and the new AirPods. And the race was, like, fine. It was a great experience. I love New Orleans. And, like, running through the city was excellent. Um, no iPhone, so it was just the watch. And streaming Apple Music over LTE was wonderful. Um, and then when you finish the race, you had to take a bus back to the starting point. And, like, no iPhone the whole time. I was messaging people, like, using um, Scribble and Dictation and, like, like navigation with the Maps app. Like, it was wonderful. So it was a great experience. Um, it, was, it was one time where, like, I had sweat in my ear and I had the AirPods on. And it was, like, the first time I think ever that I felt like the sweat was, like, in my ear and that it was going to affect the AirPod. So, like, I took out the AirPod, like, while running and, like, kind of, like, shook my head and, like, couldn't quite get it. But it really kind of tickled. Um but it made me think, like, I can't wait for, like, the Powerbeats Pro to be here. So um, we've got one update on the Powerbeats Pro. So the thing with Powerbeats Pro this week is that uh, on Monday, we, we saw FCC approval for Powerbeats Pro, which means Apple can now, like, legally sell them in the U.S. because they're, like, wireless. So they've got to be approved, um, which means that they're probably on track for their May release. But then on Tuesday, we saw um, and, and reported that Beat says that only the black versions are coming in May. And this wasn't originally in their announcement. They've got four colors total. So they've got black, ivory, uh, moss, and navy. But the three non-black colors won't be available at launch. This will be sometime this summer, they say. Um, so it's a little bit disappointing if you wanted like a non-black color. But my guess is that like black will be the most popular anyway. And yeah. so they'll, they'll make the ones that are the top sellers first. And then when they've got like you know more of these made, they can do the colors then. Um, so I'm just looking forward to these. I can't wait to have them and like run with them and, 
we don't have any yet, and they're not on sale yet either. So we think the end of April, and then in May, they're definitely like that's their like release date is sometime in May. We don't know when, but probably ship in May, and then like be in stores in June. So um, we've got those to look forward to, but we're a little bit closer. Unless you wanted a color, then the colors won't be here. So that's kind of disappointing. Um, but that's the Happy Hour Podcast of this week. If you like the show, you can give us feedback. We are on Twitter at ApolloZach and Benjamin, you are... B-Z-A-M-A-A. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>